we need to start for you know future and come backwards rather than saying oh i want this now because it feels good it's like no like what are we trying to solve for and does this tool have the utility and the quality and the design to solve for what we're trying to to solve Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. And there we go. We are back again for for another round. Awesome. It's cold. And the dog is all sorts of angry because there's kids out flying a kite. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. We may just have to put up with her shenanigans here. So Uh, it's fine. Uh, uh, Randy had a good thread this morning on Twitter about how like we've, you know, like we've gotten to this point where we no longer appreciate the imperfections and things like we, like he was talking about like the, you know, AI and all these various software programs that make pictures absolutely perfect. You know, people that have like streams, podcasts, video casts, whatever that are like picture perfect. There's no flaws. He's like, you you know, he was going on basically you lose a bit of the authenticity. He's like, show me that grainy picture from the eighties with you and your grandparents that's got like a timestamp on it or, you know, show me the the podcast where, yeah, the kid runs into the room while, while you're recording, like just the, you know, let things be flawed and appreciate when things do have flaws. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You bring that up because I've been, um, I've been, uh, I've been craving that. So my, my, my uh, heavy rotation on Sonos right now is, uh, I've been listening to two or three different lo-fi radio stations on Spotify. So some lo-fi jazz, some like lo-fi hip hop. And it's just, it just feels good. Like this, this just feels better. And then speaking of Randy, I told Randy, I'm like, you know, I, 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 I get that he's kind of experimenting with his, his YouTube content, which we have to do. You and I talked about it yesterday, but there's something so like pure about his content. And I said, the only way I can describe it is the same reason why I like watching Saturday morning culinary shows on PBS because they're just so pure and you compare that to, you know, food network and it's, everything is like reshot perfect angles. Every word is scripted. Whereas with, you know, the PBS version, it's like, no, these are real cooks. We're just going to throw a camera in the kitchen and let them go. I'm like, this just feels so much better to be authentic. But clearly I must be an outlier because the fact that we overproduce things and you and I have had this conversation about the popularity of quote reality TV, which is in no way real, but like these things get mass appeal. But to me, it's just a huge turnoff. Like I just don't enjoy it. I like the true authentic reality TV, which is very, very hard to find. 
Yeah, it, you know, everything comes across so fake. Like you see the people with their their pictures on social media, and we talked about that in the early days of the podcast. Like the people that put out that the curated view of their life, the perfectly staged pictures, and you know, like they they try to hide what happened beforehand. Whereas I have one friend, like they put out the pictures of like them and their kids, and then they make the joke, like, yeah, three minutes before this picture. I was screaming at the kids to stop fighting. I was, you know, pushing my husband, come on, get in here and take a picture and smile nicely. And then, you know, like the, what goes on um, behind the scenes before it's actually done. Yeah. And instead of hiding it, it's funny. Like I'm reminded of, you know, this story when we went to go get our wedding rings and, you know, we were, we were at the jeweler and, you know, we we're picking out different things and, you know, like, I, I was behind a couple, you know, choosing between a couple different materials. And, um, you know, and he's like, yeah, like, you know, the, the white gold, the silver, the, the yellow gold rings. Yeah. They're softer and they're going to Nick. They're going to parts and we're going to wear away or whatnot over the years. But he's like, you know, that's, you know, the, the Nick's, the, the imperfections, the, the, the changing of it. It's one way to look at your relationship, like, you know, what you've weathered, what you've been through and, you know, whatnot. And that, that, that always stuck with me because, you know, I, I have admitted I am definitely a perfectionist and any little imperfection drives me up a wall. And it's like, no, nah, this thing is, it's going to get nicked up. It's going to get its scratches. There's parts of it that are going to wear away, but that that's part of life. It is, and it's actually what makes things beautiful. And I, I can't remember the Japanese term. Hold on, I gotta take my headsets off. Headphones off. That's enough. So Evan Lapointe sent me this little dish. It's a ceramic dish. Um. But you, so in, in Japan, there's this whole art of restoring things that are broken. So you can see it has like this kind of gold flux thing in there. That's kind of put this back together. It's been broken and put back together and it's beautiful and it's amazing. Um, but you're, you're right from like a cultural perspective, we've got this thought that everything has to be new and perfect. And, you know, it's, it just, sometimes you miss that like charm and yeah, I mean, there's, there's nice to having new things and kind of that new car smell and a new house with all the features. But sometimes it's like, you know, you're in an area that's quite established, right? And the East coast has these very old houses and buildings. There's just something, it just hits different walking into those places that feel like they have like a history and a story to tell. Yeah. Like the, the house that we're selling, this house is 73 years old. Mm. um and you see the the marks and the improvements and the changes that each owner has has put into it and um i mean it's it, it's not hard to find a house that's 100 years old out here yeah and when they do it right those changes aren't hidden they're part of the history and the fabric and the story right and it's yeah. a, it's a beautiful thing. It's where it's done wrong. And I'm sure there's some parallels to analytics implementation and data capture. There is when it's, it's not so beautiful, but when you care about it, obviously someone cared about, you know, this dish enough to put it back together, like the scars and the history of it becomes incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, think about 
you know, our space specifically. You brought up digital analytics, so let's go ahead and segue into into our topic for for today. You know, it is it is so easy to go out and just buy something new mm-hmm. instead of trying to fix, mend, maintain the the programs that you already have. It's like, well, let's just let's just throw it out and and start all over. Um, you know, there there's teams, organizations, companies that are that are built around. Let's just go ahead and rip and replace. You know, people build careers on just coming in, ripping and replacing. Um, so as we do pivot into into our topic, um, I want to start a new thread of episodes around this concept of I have this theme, I'm calling it vendors or outcomes. So think about it like, are you focused on the outcomes of your work or are you just focused on the vendors involved? And that could take multiple things. So for today, I want to talk about, um, are you buying a specific tool, a specific suite of software because of the logo or are you buying the tool because it gives you the outcomes you want and need? So, you know, we've, we, we, we're, we're kind of, um, kind of going between like the philosophical part of life and, you know, work and, and our space. But when you think about buying stuff, like buying because of the logo, buying because of the brand is a concept that permeates all facets of life. So whether it's shoes, cars, um, computers, phones, everything, the brand, the logo on it means so much. And there, there's multiple reasons. It can, uh, it denotes value. It, it conveys status. Mm-hmm. Cause do you remember the early iPod ads? Oh yeah. You know, it was like the silhouette and you just had the white, you yeah. know, earbuds, you know, at that point they were, you know, still corded, you know, coming down and it was just that, like that whole thing. It was so simple, but it conveyed the value. People wanted the white earbuds because, Hey, I have an iPod. Mm-hmm. I don't have a generic MP3 player. Like that was the status symbol in the mid two thousands. Um, so looking at, you know, our specific space, like this is something that I don't know if people think that much about, like, are you buying something because of the vendor involved and saying I'm using this tool now, or are you truly evaluating it that it's going to solve your problems? Yeah. And so, so much to, to unpack there and just go to go back to your, how you, you started off kind of rip and replace, rebuild. Um, I, I think it, it does happen a lot. Um, and it, it happens sometimes completely out of control of the current ownership and sometimes completely in control of the current ownership. And I know this isn't the topic of conversation, but I think it's important to recognize that sometimes the current homeowners um, are dealing with so much, um, what's the right word? Lack of care of, of the, the home from the previous owners that they have no other choice. Right. And, and those, those that choose rip and replace, I think deserve a lot of, a lot of credit because it's not an easy decision to make. It could be, you know, let's just go along with the flow. We actually have a couple current clients right now that are in that situation that are facing a tear it down and rebuild. And it's, it's simply because the previous owners lacked care of the house and, and now they're kind of left with this thing that where you been that can't be, uh, can't be sustained any longer. Um, 
but the other side of it is um, those that come in and have a choice and they're doing it because of ego, right? Like I have to do redo this in my image. No one else could have done as good a job as me. So I'm throwing out everything else and rebuild. You know, that's where we run into lots of problems. But as far as this discussion goes around, you know, are you buying the tool because of, of the name? I think you bring up a lot of really good points around status and around comfort. And, you know, the old saying in services was always, well, you never get fired for hiring, you know, IBM, right? And so there, there's definitely... You never get fired for hiring Accenture. <laughs> yep. And Ernst and & Young. And there's a handful in our space that it's like, it's a very comfortable thing. And so that's why these name brands are, are hired and I, I completely understand it. And sometimes it's deserved. Sometimes it's created through marketing and sometimes it was deserved, but they've no longer kept up with that. I, and I think IBM is a great example. Accenture is a great example. Maybe at one point in time in their history, they earned the right to have that trust, but it's not there anymore, at least not from an analytics perspective. You know, they're just kind of resting on their laurels as, as they say, um, so I think it's important to understand why why that name brand gets that um, appeal. And I think in our mass marketing world, a lot of that is manufactured, right? We, we manufacture the importance of it, whether it's, you know, shoes or electronics or whatever, whatever you have. A lot of that is through through marketing appeal. You know, I think um, what were the headphones that Apple bought Beats? Uh, that did a really fantastic job with it, right? They they created some incredible marketing campaigns that it's like, I have to have these headphones. But on the flip side, you you have headphones, you have cookware, uh, you have cars, you have other things that you may not ever even see in marketing. You know, they're not even creating any kind of marketing, but are so highly sought after and are seen as a status symbol, not because marketing has created that, but because their influence and their design and their utility have created that by itself. Uh, and I think that's a really important differentiator. So are the tools that I'm using or is the vendor I'm using, is it because it's a hot trendy thing because of marketing? And then I can think of a couple in our space, which I'm not going to name. Um, or is it because they've earned that right? They've let their product do the talking for them because it is such an elite product that yeah, maybe they've got some marketing to kind of keep the momentum, but the mass appeal, this almost cult-like nature of using some of these products comes from the actual just incredibly high quality and utility of the product. Sorry, that was a lot of rambling. No, no, it, it, it's good because you you do, you bring up a good point. Like there, there were a couple brands, you know, I was thinking of that, like you don't need to to know or you know you don't need a commercial to to find out about them you know you just you, you just know um you know like um I, I don't know like one um you know i'm thinking of like coffee makers i haven't seen a commercial for breville in ages i mean mm. i may not be watching or reading the right things to get an ad for it um but like because everybody but everybody talks about their breville coffee maker you know, just a simple appliance. Yep. Yep. Um, and there's another one. I think Rocket is another one in that space that are incredibly just well-built, well-designed. People gush over owning them. It is a bit of a status symbol. 
but you don't see any ads for it. You know, you don't flip open your in-flight magazine. It, it, they, you know, they, they just find their utility through some other ways and not to say that they're not focusing on brand, right? I think they, they definitely are thinking about it, but they're not putting their emphasis on uh, ad spend. Instead, they're putting it into R&D and then cultivating uh, a strong buyer network that in essence, I guess that is marketing, right? It's just a different flavor of marketing where they're not out there kind of, what is the beating their own, no, tooting their own horn. Is that, I don't tooting know. Tooting their own horn. Yeah. Um, and so it just kind of hits different and, you know, say what you will about, um, about Tesla, but Tesla is a great example of it. Their marketing budget on paid marketing is, you want to take a guess? Zero. Zero. Just think of the last time you saw a Tesla commercial on TV or an ad online or. Yeah. I just realized. Not. Yeah. That, that's one. Yeah. Or isn't have it. Right. So I, it definitely can be done. And I think that, you know, it, it, it obviously is a very valid way of brand building and positioning in any space. But again, coming back to our conversation from an analytics perspective, are we buying the tools because it's the thing to have? It's a status symbol. I think all of those things are completely fine. It's a safe bet. Like, you know, you don't get fired for buying X. I think all of those things are perfectly fine reasons to buy things. My bigger question is, has that brand earned that through reputation, through R&D, through having quality products, or have they bought that through pumping a ton of money into marketing, paid marketing campaigns? And and again, I don't, I don't want people to attack us saying, you know, oh, paid marketing. Oh, Brevin, yeah. you close my door. Huh? Will you close my door? Yeah. Talking about imperfections. Like, talking, and, talking about imperfections. Yeah. I'm like, why is the dog know. crying? <laughs> no, no, no. Go, go out. <laughs> yeah. It, it, talking about just showing, yeah. <laughs> you know, real life as, as we're recording. Uh, I'm like, why is she crying at the door? Okay. Brevin <laughs> came home. Um, nice. Uh, yeah. So is, is that not, and I'm not saying paid marketing is bad. I think it's obviously, well, very, it, it's necessary it you know, that, absolutely that's how you necessary. about a product. But again, is that kind of allure of the brand? Is it primarily because you bought it and it's not sustainable? Cause the minute you turn that marketing faucet off, it goes away or is it earned and the marketing budget is helping further elevate and, and get broader exposure uh, of that brand? Yeah. I'm trying to think. Where do I want to go with this? Because I think we we can continue. Well, let's go. This. Let's go to outcomes because I think yeah. it, it ties in 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 into outcomes, and I think it says a lot about the tools you're selecting to to buy. If we're buying the tools because it's the hot trend, you know, oh, we went to this conference or we hung out with so and so, and like everybody's using this tool, so we have to use it. It's like where in any of what you just said did we talk about the outcomes that we're looking to drive from from this tool i mean that's a it's a huge red flag um so i i think your 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 topic title for today's episode is is spot on is it that not necessarily are we buying the logo because i think a lot of times we do buy the logo but for very valid reasons the question is kind of flipped are we buying the logo because it helps us get to our desired outcome or are we buying the logo because we want to be wearing beats and all the other cool kids are wearing beats? That really, in my mind is the, is the big differential in, in how we pose that question. Yeah. Um, have you ever encountered 
that um you know throughout your career where someone said um you know to put it like you just said it like hey i went to this conference and everybody's talking about this particular brand we need to bring them in or yeah. i know xyz's company is using it so we got to use it as well the latter uh so when okay. i was when i was client side um and i i i think it came from a place of being well-intentioned but Man, I, I I had been putting so much work into building our data infrastructure, um, and and one day one of the the senior managers pulled me aside. He's like, "Oh, so I went out to lunch with a buddy of mine who works over at blah 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 blah." I'm like, uh huh. He's like, "Yeah, so they just deployed Crazy Egg, like it's like transformational to their business. So like, we're gonna let's just stop everything we're doing and put Crazy Egg on the site." I'm like, "What are you talking about? Like, I'm we're like." So, I mean, that, that, that's probably a humorous outlier, but that, that did happen. Um, but I think to the broader question it happens, it happens all the time. And it's, it's one of the reasons why vendors have these big flash sheets. You know, we have, I don't know when this is going to air after summit, we have Adobe summit, yeah, during, up summit. Yeah. during summit, um, you know, not, not, not to blame Adobe because all of the big vendors are doing, you know, yeah, it was. Co- co- coincidence by the way that yeah. we recorded yeah, Com- completely coincidental um but you know all of these big vendors have found out that these um quote-unquote user conferences are much more valuable as big marketing events um and then that's what they've turned into um and they get people excited they kind of show new tools and new stuff and people see that and then they go back home like well we have to have it we I was oh you should have seen what that oh it's so cool and I remember I remember going to I was out we were out in Mountain View um, at a Google event this was a long time ago and they were showing something about one of the Google Analytics add-ons that did this like really fancy visitor stitching and where everyone's like oh we got to go back home and, uh, it wasn't I don't think it was real I think it was kind of faked demos but a lot of those a lot of those things are um, having been on the other side of it. A lot of those demos are faked. <laughs> and so, um, but they do such a good job of faking it. People are like, oh, we got to go home and get budget to buy this thing. I've been on that side too. And yes, that is one of the, se- you know, the secrets of the trade is, is a lot of those demos are held together with spit and duct tape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it's not even demos. I remember, um, I remember being out in, where were we? I don't know, somewhere in the Bay Area at uh, at the, uh, where were we? Moffat Airfield? Is that out in Northern California? Anyway, I was in this old Zeppelin hangar. Um, we were out at the Siebel User Week, and uh, my boss was actually doing a demo there. Um, and he had, ended up doing it live. And speaking of not perfect, it had a glitch. But he said something like, it's okay, you know, I, I would much rather do this than what I was um, pressured to do. And that was put together basically a PowerPoint presentation that looked like the product, <laughs> you know, and we faked it. Um, yeah. A lot of those times, because it's high pressure, but a lot of times the functionality isn't always fully baked to where they want it to be. And so you kind of have to fake it till you make it. Um, but it works. Right. And, and people go back and they say, we have to have it. Um, it reminds me a lot when, so, uh, I used to go to the state fair every year in Utah because my grandparents would take me. 
And I'm like, how many, why do we come home from the state fair every year with like this, like new device that chops vegetables faster? And could, you know, those guys that wore the headset and did the demos and they're up there talking. It's so compelling, right? It's like, well, I have to have that. And then you have a kitchen full of like these like trinkets and gadgets. And that's kind of what happens in the, the MarTech space. Um, Again, look at that that slide of the Martech landscape with the 80 million different offerings, you know, and so many of these companies are so good at doing the slap chop commercial that you see it at a conference or an event. It's like, well, I got to buy that. Um, But we don't think about what we're trying to solve for. Yeah. Well, you you bring up a great point because I was trying to find a way to pivot to this. Um, What are some questions somebody can ask, you know, who's in digital marketing? So, you know, zoom back in on digital marketing. What are some questions somebody could ask themselves as a check to make sure that, A, I want to be focused on the outcomes. How do I make sure I don't fall for the glitzy marketing or the shiny brand name? I, I, I mean, I think that's it is to ask what we're trying to solve for. So when we start to get, you know, when we see that fancy and a well-produced infomercial and we're like ready to, you know, pick up our phone this is, you know, dating me, um, and, and place that order for that new thing we just have to have, uh, we need to ask ourselves, are we, are we buying it because we're feeling enticed and like, this seems really cool? Or is this really going to solve a need, a pain point, a purpose in what it is that I'm trying to do either today, or does it fit my vision for the future and where I'm trying to take the organization? The trap is oftentimes we want it so bad that we convince ourselves that, it's one mm-hmm. thing when it's not. And I think, you know, we all have, if we're being honest with ourselves, we we all have something in our house that we convinced ourselves we just had to have because it did X and we were completely lying to ourselves that we just wanted to have it because it was just, it demoed so cool or everyone else has it. So we need to have it. it it's, it's human nature. It is. It is. And that's why, and that's why these pitches work so well, but um, slow down. You know, slow down. Nothing that we're doing is really that critical that we have to make decisions at the state fair to buy from the guy, you know, hawking the thing that chops vegetables super fast. Like we can go home and research and ask questions and, you know, so slow down. And I know we're not necessarily talking red flags here, but it's one of the things we've talked about on previous episodes that, you know, if you have a a vendor, if you have a demo, if you have a salesperson you're working with and they're saying, well, you know, this is like a flash sale. We didn't even think we were going to have this. So like really limited time. We have to get this done right now. Alarm bells, you know, flashing lights should be going off. That's like, wait a minute. I probably don't need this. You know, if, yeah. if, if I have to make a decision right now on this thing, it's probably something that is an impulse buy and I really don't need. And we're going to feel good, right? We, anytime we buy stuff and well, unless we have that buyer's remorse period, we, we feel good. You know, it's like, oh, I got my... Do you remember the um, episode of Seinfeld where he buys the leather jacket? Yep. And and he literally is in his pajamas at like midnight watching TV, sitting on the couch with the leather jacket on because it's like, I just can't take it off. It feels so cool. Like we have that, right? Like that newness and it just feels so cool to have this new thing. But eventually it always wears off. And so if we bought it for that like excitement of the purchase and not for the excitement of the process of what that was going to enable us to do from an outcomes perspective, eventually we're going to get tired of it. And that curve is pretty sharp. You know, it doesn't take long for us to be like, eh, I guess I didn't really need to buy that thing. Let's put it in the 
corner with everything else that we bought that we didn't need. Unfortunately, in business, it's not like we're just taking up space in our house with stuff collecting dust. It's it's tech debt. You know, we still like someone has to maintain it. We're paying for it. It's, you know, slowing down our website. We have it. It causes all sorts of problems. So it's not as uh, innocuous as as it would be for us buying kitchen gadgets and trinkets um, as it is, you know, in the business where it's got some pretty substantial overhead costs that we don't think about until it becomes so overwhelming. We've we've often talked about the hoarder example where literally we have stuff falling in on ourselves. We like we can't. Why does our website take two minutes to load? This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, um, have you ever heard of like some of those mechanisms they give people who are like compulsive buyers? You know, no. w- one of the things they say is is if you have credit cards and you're a compulsive buyer. Now, again, this is going to date me as well, because nowadays you've got your credit card saved in all of your accounts. You've got Apple Pay, stuff like that. But what they would say is, is take your credit cards and freeze them in, in like in a block of ice in the freezer. <laughs> Seriously, like get, 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 get a little container, go with water, put your credit cards in, put it in the freezer. So this way, like, especially like because people would use their credit cards for the big purchases. Yeah. If you really want it, you gotta take, take it out, out <laughs> let it defrost and let it melt. Because like the time, by the time, like if you really need it, by the time it melted, you would still need it. Where if it was more of a want or, oh, that looks cool. By the time that that block of ice would melt, the idea is, is you'd be past that initial, like I need it. And you probably talked yourself out of it and you're done. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I had like, never, I never heard of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that's a common thing. They, they, they tell people like, if you've got compulsive spending, you know, have maybe a debit card with a little bit of cash saved in, well, the updated for now is, is have that saved in like your Amazon account or something like that. So you have a small amount of money to spend, but like credit cards where you would put a large purchase on, hide them, you know, in the freezer. Yeah. And then this way it, it slows down that, well, let me go buy it and put it on the credit card. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a good, it's a good example for the business world that it it is important to have a bit of a cooling down period because sales and marketing has become so optimized that it is so easy to buy. It is so easy to buy. And, and, and again, I want to be careful here because I don't want to say that buying tools and frameworks and whatever isn't a good thing. Absolutely. Having the right tool is incredibly important but the right tool often takes time to evaluate and find what what works for you and just because it's the right tool for you doesn't mean it's the right tool for me and both tools you know the tool may be perfectly fine it's a lot of times it's personal preference it's how you're going to use it it's your personal you know likes and whatnot and i i think a lot about my knife collection that i've um, acquired over the years in the kitchen deciding to upgrade to a high quality set of chef knives was game changing for me in the kitchen. So to say tools aren't important, you know, is, is, is not true, is not true. You know, going from a cheap Walmart knife to cut vegetables, to going to a high end proper chef knife, it just completely changes everything. And so having the right tool is important, but it's also expensive. You know, each knife is $150, $200. It's not, it's not cheap where you could buy, you know, a collection of 50 knives from Walmart for $100. Um, and so 
you have to research and find which ones you you like. And the, while the knife I love, I have, I love, I know people that don't love it. And it's not because the knife isn't an amazing tool. It's they don't like how it feels in their hand or for the type of things they do, it may not be the right fit. And, and so that's what we're talking about in, in the tool space in, in, in the digital analytics and larger MarTech space, these tools, even, and you know, I don't, want to well maybe i'll throw out numbers but it's not fair because what may be expensive or inexpensive to a enterprise company may be incredibly expensive to a mid-market company but we work with large enterprise brands and so fifty thousand dollars for a tool oftentimes is so small it doesn't even show up on any balance sheets anywhere but for a small company that could be a massive investment um but it doesn't matter like regardless of the price these tools are expensive whether you're a big company or a small company, it's it's not like it's not like we're just. I'm going to date myself again. Do you remember? And I can't believe we did this, but do you remember? Do they call them gas stations in Philadelphia? Yeah, you know, like what what Wawa, the convenience stores. Well, Wawa is a convenience store that in the last ten years has gotten also into having like they call them super Wawa. So it's the convenience store and the gas station. I'm thinking, so in our neighborhood, we had this little gas station that had a couple pumps. And then in there, there was a couple of video game, you know, cabinets. There was like the candy aisle. And the yeah, I, I know the type that you're talking you about. You know, yeah. like like that. But when I was young, they had the penny candies, like the Swedish fish. And they, they literally had them in a box with the box open. And then you would go in there with your grubby little hands and pick mm-hmm. out like 10 Swedish fish and put them in a bag and pay 10 cents for it. I'm like that was gross. We really did that. We um, did. <laughs> and we survived. That was also a time that uh, our parents' cars didn't have seatbelts either. I, it's good we have seatbelts now. Yeah, my brother would stand up in between the like we'd had we had a car with a back bench, and I'd be sitting in one seat, my sister would be on the other side, my brother would be in the middle, and every now and then he would stand up, like this is mid eighties, stand up with his hands on either the front seat. I'm yeah, like, dear crazy. God, if he's if these days, if he's not down in a five point harness, you're yeah. getting pulled over. I, he's standing up. Not only a five point harness, the the car seat has to have like certain rules, and like not even every five point harness is good enough. So anyway, anyway, I'm going down on a huge tangent here. So it's oh, not like dude. we're running into the convenience store and buying some cheap candy. These are substantial purchases, and so we should treat them as such, right? Because it's like, eh, I got a handful of whatever those Sour Patch Kids were, and they were gross. And eh, I'm, I'm out a few cents, whatever. No, like these are substantial purposes that have real impact, and we should treat them as such. But unfortunately, a lot of times they are treated as the cash register. Uh, you know, I didn't plan on buying this, but now that I see the candy right there, I'm going to have an impulse purchase. These shouldn't be looked at as impulse purchases, but so often they are. And then companies stand back and scratch their hands like, why aren't we getting any value out of this? It's like, well, you know, we didn't come to the store to buy this, but we walked away with it anyway. We have no idea how we were going to use it. So, yeah, there's there's no there's no uh, big mystery here. So, again, I love the title that you came up with because we need to start for, you know, future and come backwards rather than saying, oh, I want this now because it feels good. It's like, no, like. What are we trying to solve for? And does this tool have the utility and the quality and the design 
to solve for what we're trying to, to solve for. And that's really where the discussion um, needs to be centered. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, and I mean, I, I, I have so many, so many thoughts there because it has become that easy. And we, we, you know, we've talked about the hoarding example of, you know, how cheap data storage has gotten. So people mm-hmm. just, you know, they, they just, you know, over-engineer their implementations. And I, I think the same thing. It's like, well, we, we, we could put this up and, you know, we're getting, you know, GA 360 for free with our, you know, with this package with Google. So we'll have Adobe and GA on site and no, no one's really maintaining any of it. I think that's ultimately the problem yeah. though with this, when people stop focusing on the outcomes and start re- and, and just focus on having the logos, it's like, yeah, we're using GA, we're using Adobe, we're using this, we're using that, we're using Hotjar. And, but are you really, and because you have so many, you, you can't maintain them all. No, you can't. I'm going to avoid myself going down the uh, less is more route, but you, you bring that up, right? In that there, there was a time where I don't know if it was storage cost driven, but there was something driving the very small amount of customization we could do to our analytics tools. And I thought that was an absolutely good thing because it forced us to have the discussion of, do we need this or not? But now when it's like pretty much open-ended, no one has that discussion anymore. It's like, yeah, let's just get it. And then we just end up with more and more stuff that that we can't um, support. But to your point, there's also kind of this um, NASCAR slide uh, component to it, right? That it's, um, here are all the cool technologies that we're deploying. And, and a lot of times the driver for that is, we want to talk about how all the cool stuff we have is. And and I think that you can find it's not it's it's again, it's more human nature than it is something a problem with the, with our space, because I think you can you can find this this anywhere. Um, and I'm seeing this in, in the guitar space. You know, I'm learning to play the guitar and there are there's a subculture of guitar players that it's literally about this stuff. Right, you, you go to their YouTube channel and they can go on for five minutes about the name brand this and that and this pedal and that pedal and then the name of this, this. And I'm like, but you don't know how to play the guitar. Well, no, yeah. but I got all this cool stuff, right? And then and then you got some old timer that has some beat up old guitar and some no name amp from the 40s and he's cranking out incredible music. Like, dude, tell me about your technical setup. He's like, well, I got this amp here and I got the guitar. So you know, and again, not to say that adding in those other things isn't important, but what's the driver? Are we getting all that stuff? Cause we like to talk about all the technology and tools and stuff we have and the brand names on it, or are we doing it because we're solving a very specific need? And we know that there's that one unique guitar pedal out there by this one manufacturer that fits everything that I'm trying to do from a vision standpoint for how I play the guitar that's the differentiator and, and it's it's true across industries across hobbies you know this is how it, it plays out and so i'm hoping that we can recognize this in our own lives because i think we probably have been in that scenario once or twice ourselves and if we're now in a position to own and drive an analytics uh, strategy and organization 
it, it really is in our benefit to avoid those traps because it might sound cool to show up in an event and talk about like all the gear we have. But ultimately, you know what? People don't remember the gear. They remember how you made them feel by the song you played. And, yeah. and, and that's the difference. Yeah. And to, to give, give an example from my side of things, my wife and I are on this huge declutter, cluttering, uh, God, this huge <laughs> decluttering kick. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, with the move, we're, we're, we're like, we're really going through stuff, stuff that we've been holding on to for a while that came, you know, followed me from my parents' house to apartment, to apartment, to apartment, to this house and whatnot. I'm like, no, I, I gotta, you know, it's time to part with it. And she shared this meme or yeah, they did this meme yesterday where it's like, you know, I've come to realize that it, the second half of, you know, my life is about decluttering all of the stuff that isn't uh, directly related to people from the first half of my life or now I'm butchering it. I'm going to have to post it, but it was, I'm, I'm coming to realize that the second half of my life is decluttering from all of the non-people related stuff that I feverishly collected for the first half of my life. That's deep. Right? Yeah. And that and and that's exactly what like I we we how many organizations do we come into and they have massive data integrity issues because just buy you know the next vendor, the next logo, this brand is going to fix our problem. And so they just bought it because it's the logo. This brand does this great. So we're just going to buy it without really thinking, you know, to your point early on, has that brand earned the reputation or, you know, are we, do we have the other pieces in place to make sure it solves our problem? We've come into many engagements where they've run, they've had that problem because yeah. they just went out and bought the hottest brand to fix their problems, but it's not, fixing their underlying issues. I'm going to ask you a question about your decluttering at, at the risk of your answer, not uh, supporting my narrative, but I'm going to ask you anyway. So as you've been going through that activity um, and let's say it's not time-based, let's say it's not, well, this is X years old, so I'm getting rid of it. Um, what criteria are you using to say, this is something I'm keeping versus that's ah, an easy decision to toss this? Couple things. So the, the, there's a couple different pieces of criteria that's being used. One, have I used it recently? And Good depending one. upon the object, recently could be six months, recently could be a couple years, depending upon like if it's something seasonal related, like something that you would only use in spring or in winter or something like that. Like if I bought something to do outside and it can only be done at certain points of the year, if I haven't used it in a couple of years, it's on the chopping block. Okay. If it's something one. that what's that? That's a good one. But if it's say something that like there was a pair of workout sneakers um, that I haven't used in two years and they were still in decent condition, but like because they were still half decent, like I never threw them away, but I'm like, I'm not really going to wear those shoes. I've transitioned from those kinds of shoes to a newer kind of running shoe. So I'm not, I'm not going back to that. So it was like, yeah, it, it's time to part with these, these as well. And I'll leave you with one other deep thought. As I was going through, like I was finding stuff that I was holding on to from my youth for one stupid reason or another, or, oh, this is cool. This is a good collector's item. I had this epiphany when I was working out in the garage a couple months ago. 
And, you know, some of these things, again, I've been just holding on to and have just had packed away before, before I got married, before I started a family. And I'm standing there, I'm holding a bunch of these things. And I'm like, am I really going to take these with me? And it was this moment of how can I have space for new things now that I have a kid, now that I'm married, now that she has her own things, if I'm still holding on to and, you know, taking up space with stuff that I haven't used in years and I'm holding on to because it's a collector's item. It's a collector's mm. item sitting in an effing box. <laughs> There's one of these moments where it's like, I used it. I enjoyed it. I have the memories of using it. It can go. So the one thing I was was thinking about is is build quality um, because I think it's it's kind of very pertinent to to both conversations um, in that whenever you're kind of decluttering or cleaning out and I've done this in my own life I've done this when I cleaned out my grandparents' home when they passed um, in their in theirs it was a lot more difficult because they they bought very few things but the things they bought were well the things they had were either something they paid an incredibly high dollar value for um or were passed down from their parents or their parents parents um just so high quality that it was hard to kind of segment out because it's like wow this stuff can go on for a few more generations yeah um, whereas in my house like if we were to kind of declutter uh, yeah there'd be some hard decisions but a lot of it would be pretty easy it's like i don't need all this junk like this is some cheap thing i bought because i thought i needed it this one time or this one thing i bought and it's already fallen apart a year later it's a, a lot easier to have that that conversation and the same is true in our in our stacks right that we can we can buy cheap and dirty and it's like an impulse buy but a lot of times those things um, don't stand the test of time whereas if you buy high quality these are things that can be passed on and this kind of ties us back to the start of our conversation if we do this right we should have pride of ownership that gets passed on well past our tenure at that employer and and hopefully if our employer hires correctly they can see what wow you know this person before me bought this incredibly beautiful thing i want to take care of this because i want to now be able to pat you know pass this down to the person that comes after me. I think we need to get back to that a little bit because we're, we, we've kind of gone the opposite approach of let's just buy whatever we want to buy, slap it together. Cause we know that the next person that's going to come in is going to rip it out and, you know, throw their own thing in anyways. What would it look like if we got back to that sense of really pride of ownership and buying incredibly high quality things that we have a vested interest in maintaining not just for our tenure but to hand it down to the next generation the next generation kind of going back to the start of our conversation it just hits different when you walk in this old house that has been maintained from passed from owner to owner it's just incredibly beautiful yeah so to to answer your question about build quality with my specific personal example if we decided to part with something the next piece is 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 it in good quality? What's the value behind it? It's not, you know, immediately throw it in, you know, throw it out. We'd start reaching out to family. Does anybody want this? And there are many cases where it's like, we no longer have a use for this, but it's still in great condition. It's a high quality object or item. And, you know, people, a lot of people have come and pick stuff up too. So, so yeah, that, that definitely plays a part. And I, I see your point with, with this, if people started focusing and kind of like what we were talking about at one point, like really 
checking themselves as they're starting to evaluate bringing in a new vendor that am I buying this because it gives me the outcomes that I need? And then to your point with sustainable analytics, this is something I can maintain and have, and, you know, keep a level of integrity with it. I don't need to constantly be buying. No, there, and, and there, there really shouldn't be a need for, for that if we do this right. But, but again, we, we haven't. Um, and so I think it's a big leap to go from where we are today to getting to that point, but we can get there. And I think it starts with us as individuals. Like we don't need to change the entire culture of organizations. I think organizational culture will change if at, at an individual level, we take a lot more pride and ownership of the things that we're building in our analytics practices. Um, and that organizations that are hiring also adopt that as a core principle uh, for how they want to operate because it takes both because we can take an incredible amount of pride in maintaining our home. But the minute we sell it, if we don't sell it to someone that has that same level of pride, they can destroy that in an instant. And so it takes both, right? It takes us having the pride to maintain what we build. And then it takes the business finding the right new owner of that product when we go on to a new employer. And if we don't have that, this, this becomes incredibly fragile, but I think mm -hmm. it can happen but not happen if we don't have these conversations and we don't prioritize it as something that we see as incredibly important. If we don't do it, we know the outcome. The outcome is what we see today in a constant state of rip, tear down and replace. And again, in some cases we have no other choice, but to do that. Um, but in, in others, it's just because it's, it's, it's what we do. You know, I don't really care for what the last person built. Maybe the last person built it in a way that, is not good. So we got to tear. It's just an, it's a vicious, vicious cycle that is keeping us locked in to doing unnecessary work, build and repairs rather than spending our time doing minimal, but cadence of maintenance and then spending the rest of our time actually using the tools that we have to create incredible business value. We're not doing that today. We're not doing it to the level that we could be doing it at. Correct. And um, I have one question to ask you before we wrap up. But before I say that, like, you know, one of the biggest problems I see is, is you know, the, the short tenure of mm -hmm. people in digital analytics. Several years ago, I heard like the average tenure was 18 months. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to know if that's changed, if that's gotten longer or if that's gotten shorter. Um you know, I, I've been working for you for eight years now. Like that's unheard of in our space. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like yeah. that, that's unheard of. Mm -hmm. And because normally it's 18 months. So you have these people that are constantly coming and going and it's hard, you know, like it's, it's not that it's hard. It's maintenance becomes uh, a second thought. But my question for you is, is based on what you've seen, how long does it take a martech stack to start to degrade whether it's individual components or the entire stack how long or how quickly does it start to degrade without proper without a proper custodian months it happens quickly and and we have a great wealth of knowledge that came out of uh covid to to prove this um in that lots of companies got rid of their entire analytics teams at the start of COVID. And, and the thought was, 
we can put this on ice. And then when we're through this pandemic, we'll just reboot this. What they found was that thing started falling apart almost instantly. And, you know, a few months in, it was to the point where we can't just dethaw this thing and, and, and reboot it. And so I don't know how much of that is a driver of us not taking, again, this more long-term approach of quality and maintaining it. I think it's a huge component of it. Um, but right now, given the current state where we're not emphasizing maintenance um, and buying high quality, things fall apart in the months, like incredibly quickly. If we were to invest in a more sustainable approach and really focus on the importance of, of maintenance and buying high quality and when I say buy, buying high quality, I mean that both from a people resource perspective and from a hardware software perspective. Um, if if we were to further invest in that, I think that that gets pulled up, drawn out further, right? If I buy a more high quality thing, if I have higher quality resources, um, they're going to build and maintain things that stand the test of time. You know, we can we can look at history and we can look at straight, you know, we're talking about houses. And I was just watching something earlier on um, on the History Channel about um, some old aqueducts and waterways in Italy and other places. These things have lasted for thousands of years because of the quality that was put into it, whereas there are houses in this area that went abandoned, you know, nine months ago. And it already looks like it was from like the early 1900s. It's fallen apart so quickly. And a lot of that is because of the, the quality that goes into the build and the quality of the maintenance of that uh, thing. So right now to answer your question again, months very quickly, if we were to have a, a better focus on quality and maintenance, it's still going to degrade. like even the Parthenon and like they're all falling apart but over a much longer time period. Okay, one more question, I promise. Okay. This should be quick answer question. What do you say to, you know, if a MarTech vendor comes to you and gives you the Ron Popeil, just set it and forget it. You know, our product is something you could just set and let run. See ya. <laughs> Not interested. Right. It's a lie, right? It's Yeah. It's it, it's it's And that's what it's, I, was, I I figured you were going to say, but I wanted to it, make, it makes great late night television on infomercials where we buy, like, why was I up at three in the morning and I bought this, uh, do you remember? <laughs> There's some funny videos on YouTube and, and I have one. So it tells you I bought it. Uh, do you remember these like machines with the two handles and it's to create abs? Like you roll it out. And I, I had one too. <laughs> <laughs> but they're so compelling, right? They it's are. Like, the, the, the and it's like, ah, just that. I'm like, ah, oh, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm getting the infomercial selling pitch uh, for a MarTech product, I, 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 I'm I at the point in my career where I've just kind of gotten rid of my uh, Fs to care about that. And I'm like, not interested, dude, you know, because I know it's a lie. I, you know, I know that you're using sales tactics to sell something you know is going to fall apart, but you don't care because you're going to be in a different job 18 months from now. Um, and so it, history should tell us that those things simply don't stand the test of time. And you know what? Fine. They're not all bad purchases, but if we're going to invest millions of dollars to build an analytics infrastructure, we should build it more like the ancient ruins that are still standing after thousands of years and not the, the cheap house that was thrown up a couple of years ago. That's already falling apart. Yeah. That's and, my opinion. And, and to be honest with you out here, 
and this is where we'll wrap up at, you know, with the buying cheap stuff out here, looking at houses that it's, I'm not looking at new construction of buying a new house out here. I know for a fact that, you know, how they're putting up a lot of these new developments. I'm looking for an older house. Yeah. And, and we can keep going on, but it's such a great example. And not to say that all older houses were better, but there was a sense that there was more pride in the work that the, the, the people building these houses were doing. And, and now not only is their lack of, of pride, because it's like, it's just a job. I'm going to go on to the next thing, but there's also, at least in our area, like a massive housing shortage. And so builders are like, Ooh, we could take advantage of this. Like how quick and dirty can we throw this thing up so we can build more and more houses and, and they that's cut what corners doing. and like this thing is, it looks really, really nice and smells perfect right now. This thing is not going to look like this in a year from now. I guarantee it because they're just lack of pride, taking shortcuts and um, it's not for me. I, I Again, I, I would much rather have less things that are high quality than a house full of things that are low quality. Exactly. Because ultimately you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. Yep. Cool. So let's leave. Let's wrap it up there. Um, we definitely went long today, but it was a good yeah, chat. It was good. You know, start of a, a new theme of episodes. So. Let's end it there, um, and we will catch everybody later. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.